welcome everybody to the CG Pro podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Today we have Jim Godoldick, and it's my great pleasure to introduce him. Um, yeah, thanks for to everybody for tuning in. We are um, CG Pro, and please feel free to look at our website at uh, becomecgpro.com. Um, we also have this up on our YouTube channel. Uh, feel free to check it out there and subscribe um, if you like what you hear today. But uh, yeah, it gives me great pleasure to, to welcome Jim today. Um, Jim leads the North American operations for Dimension, um, <clears throat> which is one of the world's uh, leading volumetric 3D capture virtual production studios. Um, Jim's got a, uh, a wonderful history uh, as a cinematographer, director, visual effects artist, working on some great projects for Epic and Intel and Google and Red Bull and some huge brands around the world. Um, and yeah, welcome, Jim. It's great to have you here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Of course. So um, I always love to start these podcasts off with uh, just a a quick window into your your world and your your past and kind of how you got into visual effects and computer graphics. Yeah, I mean it's it's funny because I've I've always done these like origin stories and in interviews before, but and it's funny because I always say, well, I got to where I am because of skateboarding, you know. And um, right. funny enough, the the route that that takes is not uncommon for probably a lot of people in you know um, in skateboarding and snowboarding and surf and you know some of the counterculture um lifestyles um but you know it was me having a camera um as a kid and you know traveling and filming friends and that was just a, a thing we did in skateboarding you know some um, somebody's parent had a camera and, and not to date myself for this would been you know uh vhs and then high eight days of uh you know you, you take the family camera you head out to the schoolyard or to the city and you go you know film each other skateboarding hitting jump ramps and you know jumping down stairs and handrails things like that um and that kind of progressed into wanting to learn more about you know the movies that i was watching as a kid and your typical ones you know like back to the future and and Goonies and Star, you know, and Star Wars and Star Trek and and you know Labyrinth and you go down it of like the '80s quintessential films or sci-fi films too, um, and just having that fascination of like how do they do this stuff? You know, it's you know, storytelling is one thing, but then you know, kind of visually being able to accomplish like what you know Bob Zemeckis and Spielberg and and uh, you know, all these great directors and cinematographers and storytellers were doing uh, was always interesting. Um, you know, it, it wasn't probably until a little bit later that I got into the technical side of it, of learning more about cinematography through non-traditional. So I didn't, I didn't go to film school or I didn't go to art school. Um, in high school, I kind of wished I was going to get <laughs> a ride to an art school, but, um, you know, in high school, I was, yeah, I think like all of us, um, you know, in high school, I was doing like graphic design and, and, um, and, and learning more about photography and, and, um, kind of going through that process. Um, you know, this is still like 
early days of Photoshop when I was in high school. Um, and, you know, you're messing around with things like MS Paint and, and early days of like what would be computer uh, animation for stop motion, not even, you know, CG approach of, of using, you know, um, any of the alias tools at that time. Um, so I didn't really get into 3D till much later. Um, but yeah, that that kind of step of coming up through skateboarding, learning about uh, how to film each other and friends. And I wouldn't even say it's crude of like learning cinematography. It's just like get a camera, point it. Yeah, it's shaky as hell. No stabilization back in those days. Um, didn't start shooting Super 8 and Super 16 and film in 35 till, till later too. And, you know, it's just one of those those things of like you want to capture and save those moments from memory. Um, you know, as my career started kind of taking shape, it was like definitely through cinematography and editing um, at first. And those were kind of my my first jobs as, you know, as what uh, would be my approach to becoming, uh, you know, a, a DP, um, where you get those, those small little gigs at first, music videos, you know, uh, projects for friends that were starting up brands. And you shoot all this material and, and you're like, well, I have to edit it somehow. And I've got to learn how to do graphics. So it was like self-teaching of like the early days of, of uh, Premiere and After Effects. And, you know, then Final Cut came on the scene, in, you know, in like 99, 2000. Because um, everything else with that was like either you're on Edius or you're on early days of uh, Media Composer. And all that stuff was really expensive, you know, kind of in the late 90s or early 2000s. Um, so it kind of went more of the Apple desktop computing editorial uh, became somewhat affordable, you know, get a MacBook Pro, get a G4 Quicksilver at that time, um, get up a Final Cut system and teach yourself how to edit on Premiere or, or Final Cut or Media Composer at that day, at, at, at that time was like, okay, start learning editorial, doing a little bit of graphics, you know, um, you know, Photoshop to After Effects, After Effects to Final Cut and Premiere, um, and, and then posting that. So that kind of led into, you know, a freelance gig as, you know, a uh, kind of up and coming cinematographer and editor um, in New York City and started getting some freelance jobs for uh, different agencies around New York City and the East Coast. Um, which kind of took me down this route of like, well, I want to advance a little bit more and maybe I should pick up learning about, you know, what was motion graphics at the time, you know? And it kind of started to pick up the tumbleweed a little bit more of like, okay, cinematography, editorial, motion graphics, what's what's next past motion graphics? Well, you know, full on, full blown visual effects and, and you know, computer graphics. Um, so it's like you jump from, you know, Photoshop and After Effects and Final Cut, you know, into shape. And, and, and around that time, um, I started working for Apple and uh, I was, you know, got to a level with the early days of, you know, Final Cut. This was even before there was a, you know, Final Cut studio. So each of the apps was still individual. We had like Final Cut and DVD Studio Pro and Compressor and Motion. Um, and then you had Shake. Um, you know, which used to be an internal tool, and then Apple acquired it. Um, and that was, at its day, the main compositor because it's predating 
you know, nuke, nuke at that time. Um, so yeah, it just kind of kept going along this. I want to progress. I'm being influenced by my friends and the, you know, the commercials and the TV series and, and everything I'm seeing going on around me. And um, I started beta testing a lot for, you know, different companies, whether it be for Apple and then Adobe later and uh, a foundry and, you know, Boris uh, effects and all these different companies. And it was a nice way to get an insight into, you know, artist tools and like being able to give that feedback and then getting the feedback from the company and help having a helping hand and, you know, kind of help steer, you know, for, for different things. Um, so it was a really cool kind of evolutionary time for me of, of like always keeping that core passion of like skateboarding and that, and that culture of skateboarding because it touches music, it touches lifestyle, art. Um, that's a really good freedom of expression um, with skateboarding. I would say anybody that has kids, make sure you let your kids skate. <laughs> it'll, open up, it'll open up great doors for them. Uh, teaching Russian lessons, um, and it really connects people, um, which I think is a big thing about kind of like our artist community and, and kind of art design, CG, you know, visual effects is it's it's a, it's a pretty close knit community. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I and mean, that's really what we're doing here. Um, aside from doing podcasts and running a school, is really building community and. Uh, providing a space for people to come together and talk about something we're all passionate about. And yeah, it's, it's interesting you mentioned skateboarding. I hadn't thought about it until you said that, but in a way that's kind of what helped me get into it as well. Although I wasn't a very good skateboarder, um, I was tinkering around with, with cameras, mostly stills photography, but taking a lot of pictures and I, I got into developing pictures as well in spending time in the dark room at, at college because they had a, a dark room um and i had access to it and i <clears throat> i was kind of doing that um I, during my computer science degree but really that was my kind of artistic exploration and that but really as well as being inspired by movies like you like you described that was really kind of what got me into understanding imagery and composition and what creates good imagery. So it was actually kind of skateboarding for me too, in a way. Yeah, because I think with all of those influences for, for, for us, and I think a lot of people that grew up skateboarding is you always wanted to emulate the tricks you saw people in the videos doing, the pros, the sponsored skaters. Um, and then from a, from a filmmaking perspective, you know, you have those influences of the filmmakers that are changing things, you know, Spike Jones, uh, Stacy Peralta, and uh, Mike McIntyre, Mac Dog, um, and, and tons of other, you know, uh, skateboarding artistry and filmmakers who then stepped out of skateboarding and went into either commercials or to feature films. And obviously one of the biggest ones is Spike Jones. Um, mm. And Spike has always been heavily still to this day very involved in, in skateboarding um you know still part of you know, girl skateboards and you know had the pleasure of, of doing some projects with with spike over the years through skateboarding and mutual friends um so it's, cool. it's kind of cool because you can always kind of circle back to that and kind of pull friends out because there's a lot of friends that i have that come from that same world that are in visual effects or in technology um 
And it's cool to be able to come back and like work with those people. And sometimes you may not see them for a bunch of years and then opportunity comes up and you're like, oh, uh, so-and-so is a C++ coder now. Like yeah, that person would be great to write some blueprints for us. Or, you know, they um, just have a really good artistic eye and you know that they might fit for a certain project. So it's, it's kind of cool because then you can kind of come back in where you may work on a project within that world for a brand that you grew up in my own, you know? So it's, it's, it's kind of a cool circle that you always kind of go around, especially as it is for me with, with uh, kind of skateboarding. Right. Yeah. And <laughs> it's amazing to get the opportunity to, to work with your friends and, and work with your heroes and find um, that, that thread is pretty common for people just of um, following your curiosity and, and what speaks to you. It sounds like it, it's it been that way for you and you've had an impressive career in, uh, in being able to follow your passion and, and follow the things that you're interested in. Um, do you have any, some of the people that might be listening, uh, I know some of them are already in the industry and maybe been in it for quite some time, but as I always say, we're, we're always becoming more anyway but for some people that who are yet to kind of break in or um i think they can see some of these goals or positions as being um really far away i definitely did when i was a kid and i was dreaming of making jurassic park it seemed like so impossible and so distant there were so many things that that made it seem that way um do you have any advice to anyone that would be starting out I know that it changes always over time. You know, the the entry level positions are always changing, but I think yeah. the, the principle of it probably remains. Yeah, there's. I mean, there's definitely some baseline stuff. It's is, um, you know, in terms of education, where it was when I started, it's light years ahead. You know, you you open up a web browser and you Google, you know, how do I set up a virtual camera in Unreal? Boom, you've got tons of Google links and docs and YouTube videos and you've got, you know, an oyster of information. So I think one great thing about technology is it's connected people um, from all different, you know, walks of life in terms of uh, experience levels too, is, you know, being able to share um, what took somebody else a week to set up in Unreal or Nuke or whatever it is, you know, it's, it's a click away now for the most part. Um, so definitely, you know, being able to use the technology in a way, um, you know, from an education purpose uh, or standpoint that you have the world available to you, you know, um, through the internet and through Discord and through Slack and, and all this and, you know, make the connection. Um, I know right now it's been a little weird with the pandemic of being able to connect in person, which normally would be easier. You'd be able to like get on Discord and, go to these like VR or, or virtual production or whatever, you know, user group meetings or anything like that. Um, so that's a, the in-person thing has changed a little bit where you could go out and educate yourself and go to like an AFI thing or, um, you know, something at a, a film festival or, you know, even like SIGGRAPH or NAB or IBC. Um, I think a little bit of that has shifted um, to where the, the the training and the education is is really important. So like when we look for people to mention, you know, we're looking for people with 
diverse backgrounds. Um, and, you know, those diverse backgrounds may not mean, you know, Maya and Unreal and Nuke and ZBrush and all of that, but, you know, there's, there's a, a good base for, you know, being a generalist versus being a specialist. Um, mm. And I think today that that makes even more sense of, of uh, if you've got a good handle on the basis of, um, you know, if you're, uh, if you're a lighter, you know, I want to see, like, maybe you have a, a portfolio on photography and, and look at, look at that stuff in relation to what, uh, you know, lighting or the lighting TV may, um, may be interest. Cause I want to see your interests outside of just the technical aspects of how to click a button in one application or the other, you know, like what, why did you put that light there? You know, what, you know, what possessed you to put it there? And is it because like you have this thing from uh, you coming up as a kid and watching ET and liking the cinematography and the lighting of that, you know, so you're mimicking that, um, or is there a technical reason why you put a light there or a camera or an asset? Um, so I think that's one thing there is to like, see people's personal touch on the work that they do, you know, especially if they may not have a very big portfolio right now and you're just breaking in or you don't have any portfolio. Um, I would say for people just getting in is do your own projects, you know, like go download whatever it is. I think they're pretty free, freely available today that any of the game engines, any of the major DCC packages, all have trials and they all have educational uh, access or educational licenses that are either free or cost effective. And if you're not out there taking advantage of the free licenses and the free education and um, setting the time aside for you to learn this stuff, like that's where things are going to seem even, even longer. So you have to take that initiative to like go download, you know, Unreal and play around with it. And it's daunting. You know, mm. Nuke is Nuke is daunting. ZBrush is daunting. Like these are massive applications that do a lot of technical things. So, you know, what what is it going to be that driver of like where do you want to go? Do you want to be a certain type of artist? Do you want to be a technical artist? Do you want to work on set? Um, you know, is it that you want to be a director? There's all these, there's no set path to be any one of those things, but there are um, breadcrumbs that you can mm -hmm. follow on that path. And you may go, hey, I want to be a lighter. And all of a sudden you change it. And you're like, well, I'm, maybe I want to be a character TV or maybe I want to be a cinematographer. Like try them all, <laughs> see which one works out for you. Yeah, great advice. Um, and it's, it's interesting how it's kind of progressed because I remember a lot of the advice I was given early on in my career was to try to specialize. And that was like the only way through. There was a lot of that kind of flavor at that point. Um, and it makes sense, especially in big film productions to have specialists, but it seems especially um, in, in commercials, but also now in virtual production, um, seeing a lot more desirability around generalism and actually that being more of a strength whereas before i feel like it was perceived more yeah. as a you're diluting yourself too much but it seems the to whole have changed. jack of all trades thing where that was almost frowned upon 
yeah you know where it is today it's like if you're if you're more of a nimble like technical artist you know versus just a traditional artist um you know there's something to be said where with artists that have a technical background like if they can code and they can write c plus plus python um you know if uh, that artist is technical in terms of uh, computers they can build you know their own servers and render modes and you know a little bit of the it and admin stuff of it um i think a lot of individual artists say like freelancers um have to be a bit of all of that they have to be a generalist because they are their own it they are their own you know um producer they they have to be a lot of these days because you know you your business is yourself as a freelancer. Yeah. Um, so, so especially with remote working, I guess has made that even more so because there's yeah. you're not in a studio as much anymore. You're at home with a machine and maybe they can help you remotely if you are working with a studio, but you're probably going to be more responsible for your own kit and figuring out problems a bit more. Yeah. Yourself. Like yeah. good luck to somebody that's new that's trying to set up Perforce you know, within a multi-user environment. <laughs> so, yes. so, I mean, it's tricky. I mean, and, and, you know, as much as the documentation out there is great from Epic and from Perforce, like there's still a couple gotchas, like, do you have yeah. a firewall? Do you not have a firewall? Are you using a VPN? Are you not? Like, so there's all these little gotchas. And unless you have the, the benefit of having like a dedicated IT team, or you just have a technical friend that maybe was a sysadmin or you've, you've gone through this before as an individual artist or even small groups of like boutique artists, like some of the stuff catches out and it's just a problem. You have to do it. Even at big studios, we, we go through it ourselves and we're not like, you know, big studios being like Island, you know, DNAG, DD, you know, the, the frame story, the typical kind of pick of the litter. Um, but even from the top down, we all go through those, those same issues. Like we all get bit by ISP going down and you're in the middle of a delivery and oh shit, what do you do? <laughs> right. Send a messenger with a, you know, with a with a uh, a shuttle drive with the assets on it. Like, you know, sometimes that just it won't work. Um uh, and I think keeping on top of the changing, even though this stuff moves so fast, especially in virtual production and, and mm. um, a lot of the real-time technologies, uh, kind of staying up on top of this stuff as it changes, to, you know, to not have to feel like you have to be an expert in everything. But if you're if you're pointing towards something in terms of a career goal or a shift in your career, um, it would really benefit you to do a little research play around with it. Maybe you don't use Unity or Unreal today, but you know, if you're a cinematographer or you're another artist in a different type of field that hasn't gotten into real-time technologies or virtual production today, I mean, I, I don't want to say it's the future because it's here now, but it is the future that was is going to be changing even more so. Um, and that, you know, it would do you much good to start learning about the technologies because they 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 do hold kind of what the future of these storytelling tools and these technology tools are going to be able to do for you as an individual artist but also as a storyteller um you don't have to be in media and entertainment as well to be able to use these tools you could be in medical you could be in banking um 
So, you know, it's kind of like sky's the limit to what a lot of this connective technology can do for, for us working on films and, and you know, experiences in VR and AR, which ties into, I don't want to rat hole, but, you know, we were talking about it where it ties into the blockchain and NFTs and empowering for artists through the whole kind of game busters. It's like, you know, the pandemic has brought on, hey, here's the blockchain and here's, you know, this opportunity to do, you know, NFTs and here's this opportunity to do virtual production. And a lot of this stuff is coalescing together, um, which from an artist perspective gives you a lot of opportunity. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, well, there's some some great opportunity right now for sure in um, in this space. And I feel like it's really leveled the playing field in a way because it's all this, and particularly Unreal Engine, um, some of the real-time tools have, uh, are, are new enough to all of us that it it's almost made it in a way more accessible right now because some of the people that have 20 years of visual effects experience that were you know, gating the entry of, of some of those studios now are brought back to school again and they're having to learn everything again and yeah. so it gives you the opportunity maybe to to jump it definitely, in definitely does i mean if you're a cinematographer and most cinematographers have never touched a 3d tool uh, maybe they have for previs or maybe they learned it just because they wanted to i picked up those tools because i was a visual effects artist and i saw the benefit i could do blocking i could do this and as as real-time technologies have come more and more into play, if your mind is is kind of aware of these and, and familiar with these tools, you're just like, oh man, this is going to make my life so much easier. I don't have to render, or I have to render a lot less, or I can, you know, stream out, you know, this to this device and to this device. Um, you know, if, if you're a cinematographer or a DP, um, just looking at a real-time tool like Unreal for blocking or for setting cameras and auditioning lenses and looking at environments and, and um, you know, site scans, you know, being able to look at, um, you know, a LiDAR scan much easier within, uh, you know, a VR headset for, for, uh, for a recce or for, for uh, a set music. You know, or just yeah, but like tech scouts and yeah. yeah, it's all it's all capable today. And you know, just to get the base layer understanding of how to throw something like that together, um, you know, if you put in if you put in the time, it, it wouldn't take you that long to learn the basics of you know Unreal or Unity to do something like that. Even give yourself a week just to play around with virtual cameras within a, a real time engine. Your head will start wrapping around, like, oh, I, you know, I kind of get it. So you plant the seeds. Um, same thing yes. for those other artists that, you know, are technical on the box, spend time learning more about cameras and lenses and photography yep. and, and cinematography and framing. Like, we all do it from watching um, films and TV shows. Like, subconsciously, you're learning this stuff, it's there. And you'd probably be able to pick out, you know, like uh, everybody talks about the Mandalorian um, with, yeah. with with good reason. It's become, you know, kind of the tentpole for, um, you know, for 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 virtual production. Uh, but 
you look at uh, how Greg, Fraser, and, and Boz uh, were lighting in in the series, um, you know, and you, you start looking at that, that's all traditional production methodologies now implanting, you know, real-time technologies and LED technologies. And the funny thing is like virtual production is not new. It's no. still, it's still production. It's still, you still have grip and gaff and, and set deck and all your traditional roles. Um, and it just moves things around in terms of order. Are you moving some of visual effects up front? All of it, maybe if you're doing in-camera final, if you're using it more as like a translate and an interactive lighting. Um, and then once the actor steps off the volume, would they go into a mocap volume or a volumetric capture volume? Um, so you're seeing all this stuff, you know, so volume to volume. And I think people get a little confused. It's like, what is the volume? And what, like, what are you describing? Because the, the term volume comes more from motion capture mm -hmm. in terms of the, the space in which you're shooting and capturing the data. Um, the volume as it is for virtual production is still there for capturing data and light, you know, um, it's just that are you wrapped in a 360, 360 degree um, LED volume. Uh, so it's pretty easy, I think, today for a lot of people that are new or have been in it but are transitioning to this stuff to get very confused very quick because it's like it's very technical. It moves very fast um budgets are still pretty high um but that shouldn't scare people away because there's different aspects of real-time technologies and virtual production and motion capture that you can do on an individual level on an indie level on a mid-tier basis and then a top tier basis so I don't think anybody should be scared away to be like, well, I don't have the same tools that Dimension has or that ILM has or that, you know, Film Store has. It's like, we can start off. Everybody can get some green, green screen off of Amazon and some cheap lighting set up and an iPhone. You can, with that set up alone, you can do virtual production at your house and get the ideas down. You can download a game engine for free. Um, you can pick up a pretty, beefy computer, more so for the stuff that we all are doing virtual production is probably best to look at a PC than it is a Mac these days. Um, yep. Just be more so because of the customization and the scalability for real-time technologies is much more in the Linux and PC world than it is in the Mac world. Not that we all still don't have a MacBook Pro and, and Macs around because they are also still great tools. Um, but just to get going in real-time technologies and virtual production and even doing mocap at home, you can buy a bunch of, you know, Vive Tracker 3.0, set up a couple of base stations, and you can do, you know, poor man, poor woman's uh, DIY mocap at home. You know, just start adding the Vive Trackers to your articulation points and launching tape recorder and learning that stuff. And there's lots and lots of YouTube videos and obviously everybody the training you guys are doing um, that ties into the training that Epic's doing with the, with the fellowship. Um, uh, probably can't harp enough on how education is so important in all of this. And there's there's big gaps in education right now for virtual production. It's really it's really hard right now for everybody. And I think you can pick any known name across the board. Talent is hard to find um, with talent that has 
a lot of experience in, in this because if they're if they're a very experienced player they're probably already scooped up or they're being able to charge a nice day rate um, on projects and they're probably nice and comfortable and they don't want to go in house somewhere so the benefit to an up-and-coming artist or to an existing artist um, switching over and learning this stuff I think is a huge advantage from that and um, you know the training I would say that's out there for virtual production it's hard to teach some of these aspects because it's very hands-on with virtual production you know how do you teach someone about led walls without an led volume setup you know um and those are specialist roles you know you have led engineers and you have AV engineers and you have people that have been doing this for live visuals for you know 20 years um but i think that we're seeing more and more training opportunities focus on these tool sets for different types of disciplines. Um, and I think that's a really great thing to have those opportunities to point, you know, either new hires or potential people, you know, colleges are, are doing these courses now too. So it's a really good time frame to be learning about all this stuff. Yeah, it's um it's an interesting space to to work in uh, as a in, in education because it's new and it changes fairly quickly or at least the you know the big players are innovating pretty fast at the moment but um the cool thing about that is it, it does feel like um <clears throat> that you're in something which is exciting and is trying to figure itself out um whereas visual effects it there was still innovation happening in offline visual effects for sure but it's it slowed down quite a lot since the 90s um, but in this space, it, it feels very uh, dynamic and alive. Um, be able to get your hands on the tools is almost akin to what, whilst Unreal is free and a lot of the things, as you described, are free and available to individuals and, and indie, um, getting your hands on an LED wall or being able to experience a volume is a little more tricky. Like um, in the 90s, actually being able to use 3D software was the same way. You could only use that if you were in-house somewhere because a copy of Maya was $30,000 and a machine to run it was $100,000. And there was no way you could you could even be exposed to that. Um, Flame was half a million. That's right. Because <laughs> yeah. it was all... It was all it was all tied to hardware and hardware keys and and you know it was you know back to what you said about the democratization um and i know that word gets used quite a lot in this but it really is it is level leveling the playing field you know and it was it was a good example a couple months ago was the um one of the artists that was using uh, deepfakes a lot for his, his instagram and youtube page you know winds up getting hired by one of the studios Mm. Uh, I can't remember if it was ILM or Disney or who it was, but here's this individual artist who just started messing around with deepfakes and style gans and all of a sudden, you know, all of a sudden someone picks up the phone and says, hey, you know, you're doing great work. We'd love to hire you. You know, you put out a little short that you do, you know, with the free tools that you get from, you know, from Epic or, or one of the other packages out there. And um uh, you never know. I think that's one thing there is, is you have to put yourself out there. 
to you know be seen and some people are like oh so many people and so much great work on you know instagram and art station and all this how am i going to get seen it's like i come across the most random things and you find artists and you find people writing plugins and you know all those different things out there so i think um it'll it'll if you put yourself out there it's going to get to someone at some point someone's going to see something recognize it whatever whatever it is and you never know where that opportunity may drop it could be something as soon as you drop the first project or it may come later but it'll definitely happen at some point things will just start clicking you know for those for those different artists right yeah so to focusing a bit less on the kind of instant gratification and instant wins but more on the consistency of of working on your skill sets and the, the two big things i'm hearing from you are, are continuous growth and always building your skills and then also also putting it in front of people and making sure people can see it because if, if you just have really amazing skills but nobody ever sees it then you'll be in your bedroom forever and you'll never have the opportunity you, you have to do the sort kind yeah. of marketing effectively but you call it sharing or, or some other word but it's essentially I mean, that i mean he's probably the poster child but the perfect example is you know it's michael it's, it's people you know it's mike it's mm -hmm. like he, he put the, he put himself out there every day for you know 14 years and he can retire if he wants to now um yes. and that and that i mean he put in for the long haul but there's other there's other artist stories um you know i guess you could say success stories but i think it's 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 easy to be discoverable today um is you know when you put these samples out there whether it be through ArtStation or through instagram or you know any pick any one of the platforms that you decide to share on um i think it's really cool when other artists share the technical aspect and all of us i think you know eat up behind the scenes you know, I yeah. love I love technical behind the scenes. There's tons of artists out there that are, that share their sample tests and you know how they approach lighting. And then you get into conversation. Well, how did you do this? Like, you know, oh, I wrote this script and I did this and I did that. And then you get this report going, and you know that's how connections are made too. Um, even in like the class, I'm sure the classes that you guys do, and then you know with the uh, Unreal Fellowship and. Um, you know, Nomon and like all these different avenues for education. It's, it's, I think that's why art school and film school and these schools are there. It's like you hear people that were like, oh, yeah, you know, Scorsese and these guys went to film school together and then they formed this clique, which became American Zoetrope. And then look at where they are now. Um, and that's just more about teaming up. You know, it's like uh, you look at, um, uh, any of these pairings of artists, you know, uh, between DP and director, and like, you know, one artist and this artist, and how they came together and made this, you know, crazy collaboration. That's the same thing of today. It's like I can, I can work with an artist in Romania or New Zealand mm -hmm. or wherever, and pretty much we're all kind of held back by our, uh, the ISP, our internet right. <laughs> connections. But anywhere you can get an internet connection you know you have the uh, ability to connect with others and you know if you wanted to throw a team together which i see a lot of it today um you know two five ten person people coming together 
they form a company or they form a production team for a particular project and um, they execute on it and they go their separate ways or they wind up creating something together. So it's how Lucas started. It's how, you know, yep. how we got ILM. You know, it was those guys and gals working in a garage that made this behemoth of a, of a company. Um, so. But it was all nerds hanging out together in a in a exactly. i love seeing some of those old pieces of footage of those guys hanging out in spielberg and, and lucas they're just friends hanging out but they have that common interest that community part of it really helps them be able to collaborate and learn from each other and and i think um confidence and and self-esteem and motivation in, in that direction is also huge as i remember being on the outside myself and trying to knock on every door and trying to get in and it was quite demoralizing after a while just trying to trying to keep that spirit going but the, the thing that really made the difference for me was was that community it was being able to be around other people that were on the same path a lot of my other friends what didn't want to go on that path um and but i needed to find people that were going on that path that could help you point you in the right direction um be able to keep motivating you. I think there's a huge, a huge side to it. Yeah, it's definitely those peer groups. Um, and if you're not at a studio that has like a really healthy environment like that, um, you're probably you're just going to look, you know, at your peers and your resources other than your colleagues that um, that you may have, um, and just your, the communities. You know, between the Facebook communities and, and um, Instagram and, and Discord and um, there's so much cool work. It's almost like you, you know, you got the whole FOMO thing of like, man, if I don't post today, you know, I'm not relevant or anything like that. If if, if you're posting your work, um, if you're sharing your work, it people like myself and and other studios, like we are looking at these different platforms to find potential new talent, or even from a you know a contract perspective, you know um sometimes you may run into an artist that you're like man i really want to hire that artist as like mm -hmm. a staffer but they're totally fine with being a freelancer and i can't i've been in that same position i can't knock them because like there is this freedom of of, of freelancing you know a little bit scary at times because it's feast or famine as a freelancer mm -hmm. um at some times but um as a as a freelancer versus being at the studio you know it's it's up to you how much work you put into yourself into your to chasing after it like i said earlier it's like you have to be your own producer you have to be your own it department you have to be your own educator you have to be your own uh, kind of everything as a as an individual freelancer um but you just got to stay on top of it you know because it, it is kind of making yourself stay relevant yeah yeah absolutely it's it gives you that opportunity to get a lot of variety there's, there's pros and cons to everything i guess you've got that ability to get lots of variety and meet lots of different people see different pipelines and have that freedom to stop down for a bit if you want um yeah the, the i guess the principles still follow you still if whether you're staff somewhere or freelance it's all about being able to connect with people and grow and continue i think something that's worked for me really well is just trying to learn something every day if, even if it's just a, a little bit every day but the consistency of that adds up to incredible things that you know, you've, you've progressed um amazingly from 
being a skateboarder playing around with cameras to to running a huge part of a big company um by i still do that to follow that i approach. still skateboard and play with cameras right <laughs> <laughs> um you know it, it's it, it kind of it keeps it keeps things uh you know going and i get to do them with my kids too um, awesome yeah and it's it's and and definitely no knock at being a studio because there are huge advantages of being in a studio. Like you get to see a pipeline, you get you get to see a lot of things that don't happen at a boutique or on a freelance level. So there's this kind of ebb and flow. When you're a freelancer that goes in-house, it's a different world, you know? Yeah. And there's like obviously there's lots of perks and there's advantages. Um, but like I said, there's you know, there's benefits on either side of being in house at a studio and being a freelancer. Um, and it's really what fits that person. Like maybe they like to be freelance or maybe they want a solid, you know, gig and they, they have a path of advancement that they want to make. Like they want to be uh, an HIV, a head of department. They want to be, you know, a TD. They want to be a director. They want to be a cinematographer or, you know, an executive producer, whatever it is. Um, but yeah, there's a many paths and there's nothing set in stone that says like just because of the job you do today you can't learn something new and switch over to that new thing yep. down the road. right yeah then you can be staff for a while and then freelance for a while or the other way around it's yeah any any thoughts on um for having been in the industry for a while i i know in the middle of my career i had a point where i started to kind of um feel uh, slightly bored of what I was doing or just the, the passion level going down a little bit um, and I know that I, there were certain things that I did to really wake that up again um, one of the big ones being starting to get into um, virtual production and having the, the the luck I guess in timing to get into Jungle Book and be be there at the kind of the not the beginning of it because like you said it began in the 30s but um, like that next wave of of increased innovation anyway um that really helped me kind of um reignite my uh passion level again and i know that i've seen that in a number of people who've been in the industry for a while um do you have any thoughts on kind of maintaining your career and, and you know following yeah burnout creeps in i mean yeah it doesn't matter where you're at if you're freelancer in house or you're you know um I think it's the the diversity of projects you work on, um, and I think one good thing about what we get to do at Dimension is, you know, there's a lot of I like solving problems, and there's a lot of problems to solve. Um, and obviously, I don't do it by myself. We, we, you know, the the teams that we have um, and the the other companies we get to work with. Um, you know, I, I I think that mixed in with personal projects are what keeps you know the burnout from settling in you know and it's also i think a lot of people forget within our industry of like taking time away from it you know just disconnecting from the computers and going out and checking out the world you know going to the movies going to a museum going on vacation um you know there's times where i'm just like i don't want to look at ue4 for like Two weeks let me just get out of here um or let me not let me pick up a camera so i can just like um i still shoot some and it's like let, it, like let's slow it down you know like let me shoot 35 million 
millimeter film or let me shoot super eight it's kind of a nice reset because you have to shooting on older methods makes you think more about what mm -hmm. it is because you only have 36 exposures you only have enough gate you know in, in the film within within your your uh your reel um and I, I think there's a different mentality for those that are just brought up on digital and used to that like it's however much you can put on your your cfast or your sd card or your red mag or your you know whatever it is you can shoot to your heart's content um sometimes putting boundaries in terms of goals and um, deliverables and finite to that um i think helps structure you i've seen that mm. as well where if you give a director or you give certain artists like an open-ended thing it's sometimes it's really hard for people to make decisions to go like, right. well which which way do we go um and <laughs> Good, bad, or ugly. One great thing about real-time technologies and you know uh, things like uh, Unreal Engine is like you have infinite possibilities. You know what's what sky do you want in there? What you know what lighting do you want? What what environment do you want? What digital character do you want? Um, it's great as a tool because you can audition all of this, um, whatever your mind can think of, and you can make as an artist. You can probably put out there. Um, but sometimes having some structured uh, approaches to uh, your own short film or your own project, like script, write a script for it, you know, write storyboard it like you traditionally would. Um, or if you want to do your boards in, in engine, you could, you know, just bookmark your cameras to your different camera positions and do your screenshots or you know, many things out to a movie render and just like start editing with it. Um, I just think that the experimentation, I think, uh, kind of puts the water on the burnout. You know, if you keep experimenting, if you um, know when to take the breaks, um, um, because I think, you know, the most important tool is this thing right here. And if this thing burns out, you're just totally disconnected from, you know, same thing with this thing here is like your heart's not in it. You just, it's, it's, it, you're not going to yield the same output. Um, so definitely, um, and, and I know it's not brought up enough, but you know, physical and mental health is not brought up enough in our industry to pay attention um, on oneself, because uh, the, the tools will be there. Um, yeah. But you know, <laughs> we, we've got- They're going to keep going without you. We've got an expiration date. Um, yeah. The tools do not. <laughs> um, yeah. So that's like a, a big key thing is like avoiding burnout is like take time away from the computer, the tablet, the device, um, have hobbies outside, you know, this, and it's great. It's easy to get caught up and go, Hey, I'm going to watch like, you know, 13 hours of YouTube videos on setting up multi-user and transacting over this and that, um, where mutual comes out and you're just like, oh man, I'm going to spend the day learning it. And, you know, get the camera i'm going to do this um yeah just take the time for yourself like outside of work because I, I think stopping the burnout and being able to disconnect from that stuff when you are when you're living 
in your normal life, that's how you find those new inspirations and those new experiences. Yeah, amazing, amazing advice. Um, yeah, as you say, not talked about enough. The fact that you, when you stop doing something, can actually make you better at it. I always felt that with um, playing a musical instrument that I got better when I wasn't playing it. It was really weird to come back to it and be better than I was last time I played it. But I didn't, I hadn't been playing constantly through that gap. But actually, those those gaps are really important uh, for both for your health and also I think something happens in your in your brain without you doing the thing your, your subconscious is kind of noodling on things as well yeah if you look at artists from the past um you look at all the great writers and uh, philosophers and scientists and a lot of the most famous ones always would take really long walks you know or they would throw down to the forest and hey look at the inspiration of like all the writings that came you know from those trips einstein you know tesla going and sitting and feeding his pigeons <laughs> you know there there's the, the mental break from that and and that's the same thing in in skateboarding and snowboarding and all that is um you may get really frustrated of attempting a trick because you're trying over and over and over and over again and you may not land it and um it, at that time you know, it's either the point where you push through and you end up making it, or you you give yourself a little break, go do something else, and then come back to it. You know, just like writers do the same thing. You kind of let let artists do the same thing. Painters, you let it breathe for a little bit, step back from it. You know, you get a better feel of the view of it, and you go, oh, this is missing. Or like, wow, this is this is you. So it's all it's all it's all different. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it's just important, I guess, to be conscious of what's going on. Notice your own level of energy and your if you're if you've been sitting at the computer for five hours trying to do the same thing over and over again, it's probably time to get up and go take a walk. And I, I always found that as a software engineer, I solved my problems when I walked away. Like I would always fix them on the on the walk to the train station. I'm like, ah, oh, okay, yeah, got it. And then so I tried to. In, interrupt that instead of waiting for that moment at the end like get up and do it ahead of time and then you could i could solve more problems in a day that way by by doing that by taking breaks counterintuitive in a way um i have a couple of questions that have sure. come in here from our our listeners um so one question we've got is do you ever go to the uk studios to work um do you know any differences between the uk and the us in terms of how people work yes i do i was uh, i spent the winter i spent three months in london working on a feature um a couple months ago um yeah there there are differences uh, between uk us you know um how they pay, how they're set up. Um, most global companies, uh, like Dimension or, or some of the big ones, have global infrastructure. Um, uh, a lot of companies have visa support. That you know, if you're in the states and you have an artist uh, or um, uh, freelancer or something, in terms of being able to support uh, visa uh, work, a lot of the big companies have those sponsorship opportunities. If you're looking, either going from the US to somewhere else or from there to the US. I know it's a little tricky with the visa stuff because of the pandemic or, you know, restrictions. Um, but 
you know, normally there's a lot of infrastructure that's set up that makes remote work or the potential um, to go work somewhere else uh, available. I think because of the current state of just where things are at with the pandemic, remote work is so prevalent. I mean, it's just, you've got artists everywhere and you have a lot of people that may not ever go back into a studio, um, which is something we said, there's something about having that morale and being able to be in the studio together, but then there's also this great freedom of you know, being able to work from home. Um, uh, so yeah, it's, it's, it's really situational of, of that. Um, and I would say if you have the opportunity to travel for work, do it. Right. Yeah. Travels incredible, especially, uh, gross wise, see different cultures and yeah, it's a nice wake up call. That's for sure. If you, especially if you go to countries you've never seen and, um, see cultures, um, that are outside the United States, if you happen to be from here or you live in a big city, um, it's a little bit of a nice, uh, uh, shell shock, uh, for you in terms of like being very humble or being humbled in terms of like what is available to you and what you may or may not have. Right. Awesome. Yeah. I love travel myself. I think it's one of the best things I've ever done as well, educationally and just in, you know, enjoying your life. And, yeah. um, uh, another couple of questions, um, someone saying, I get the feeling sometimes that it's better to be a camera person rather than a VFX person whenever when approaching virtual production is that true um they both they both both sides of that coin help each other out um obviously being a being someone that knows camera within virtual production is very helpful um because it is so focused on that especially if it's for in-camera visual effects um you know it it, within the virtual world, we're mimicking the physical world, you know, and there is a basis of that. So there's certain things that even though you can break rules within a virtual environment, there are some things stylistically and, and, and technical approaches that are rooted in the like, you know, things like the 180 degree rule, um, that things about shot composition, things about, uh, you know, physical lights that do certain things, you know, in the physical world that you can break in the virtual world. Um, but if you break that in the virtual world, is that pulling somebody out of that experience or that story? Does it break the story? You know, because you can have a technical thing happen um, on set or in an experience that pulls somebody out of the story. Like everybody knows, oh, that's a really bad composite. You're just like, oh, I can totally tell that's fake or it just looks really bad, you know, in terms of visual effects. Um, I think you know, that approach of, of, of being a camera person for virtual production is only going to be of a good benefit. That being said, a heavy amount of virtual production is based in visual effects. You know, if you have a visual effects background, it's more than likely going to be easier for you to jump from a visual effects tool like Maya, Cinema 4D, Nuke, After Effects, whatever it is, into Unreal or the Unity, you know? Somebody coming as a, as a cinematographer or DP may not understand the characteristics of a 3D camera in a virtual environment versus a physical camera, which it's a 2D camera in, in actually a spatial place. Um, 
So I think they help each other out, but I think the advantage today in virtual production is visual effects um, is that. But visual effects should learn more about camera and lenses and camera should learn more about visual effects, mocap, LED, and all that. Amazing, yeah, it's great advice. Um, there are a lot of people that would come and take our classes are, are, are either visual effects or filmmakers. Um, and it's amazing watching filmmakers being able to come in and in teach an eight week program but within eight weeks, somebody who's never done 3D before, all of a sudden they can operate a 3D tool. A few years ago, that was impossible. Well, now they they actually can do it and they may just use it for a part of their process, but they're, it's useful to them. Um, and their shot and that, composition looks good at the end of their film or their project right. that they do is, is they understand framing, pacing, yeah. All of, like there are those benefits of traditional filmmaking, like in camera and all that. You may have a, a lighting TD or uh, an Unreal TD, and you may have a cinematographer, a director who comes in, learns the tool, and their stuff might look better than the person that technically is more efficient, but may not be as skilled in terms of certain aspects of the storytelling process. And that's what's great. It should be collaborative. Like that TD should teach the DP something. That TD should teach the director or vice, vice versa. And I think that's the great collaborative thing about, you know, real-time filmmaking is like you have that opportunity to collaborate. Yeah, I totally agree. It's what I, I love about it too. The fact that it's bringing the film world and the visual effects world together where before we were, all the visual effects people were locked in a kind of dark warehouse somewhere maybe the visual effects supervisor would go out and meet the film world, but you pretty much wouldn't get exposed to it unless you've got to maybe CG soup or VFX soup. But now many more people from the visual effects world are being able to go on stages and on set and have that experience and learn from the film. I've learned so much from being on some of those movies from with filmmakers that have been filmmakers for 50 years and you know learned, deeply learned their craft. And now they can pass that on to some of, the rest of us, it's incredible to be able to have that experience. It's so it's so fun to to the fact that it's connecting these two worlds together so so much. Yeah, and the good thing if you're if you're new, be a fly on the wall. <laughs> mm. Just be a sponge, suck it up, pay attention. Keep you know, they always say keep your mouth shut and your eyes and ears open. It's, <laughs> no, good, it's no, good advice, but... <laughs> especially yeah. on set. Oh, for sure. Yeah, don't open your mouth on set unless yeah. you. are this yeah. is a good idea and i like your point about humility as well because even if you're very experienced like like you are um maintaining that sense of of humility and being always understanding that there's more to know and that you know, everybody has something to contribute is a uh, is great advice too some somebody gave me that advice at the beginning of my career and it's been never fantastic. know where the the light bulb idea is going to come from they could come you know you hear stories like you know something a janitor brought something up or he saw something or you know an assistant did this or that and you just have to if it's a bad idea it's a bad idea you just don't do it but if it's if it's a good one it can make or break you know idea so you never know yeah amazing well one quick question uh yeah. before we wrap um um so Someone says that I've been asking in the past for good examples of virtual production demo reels. Um, it would be interesting if there's anyone's work that you like or you follow, um, or any, I guess, 
that that person's asking for tips on what makes a good demo. Yeah, rail, like I guess that's the question. Yeah, for VP demo rails, obviously VP, I'm biased. Yeah. I mean, you can always look at Dimensions website and socials for <laughs> for yep. um but no, I mean, man, there's so many people doing good, good work out there. You know, our partners at DNEG and Framestore and Scanline and um, and DD and and the Famous Group and um, you know, if you go to any any one of the manufacturers' websites right now, between Disguise and Epic and Unity and Pixitope and um, uh, oh, man, there's so many good stuff out there. Um, it, it's honestly Instagram is a great is a great place. Just you know, I look at hashtags for virtual production real time. I look at hashtags that are specific to um, certain keywords. You know, if I want to see like good examples of uh, point cloud, I'll you know use point cloud as, and I'll I'll search on the different platforms: uh, Vimeo, YouTube, Instagram, um, you, you name it. Those are kind of like the. You know, um, the kind of go-to stuff. Uh, obviously, you know, there's there's resources of, of work, um, Discord and and Twitter, you know, all this stuff. So I, that's usually how I uh, look for stuff. Your big players, um, you know, all of us that are putting out the you know the reels that we're doing. If the person was asking specifically about them creating a VP demo reel. Um, uh, I would say if you're trying to make a, a virtual production demo reel, it's it's always the thing of highlighting your best work first, um, and then kind of giving a breakdown off of like if you're if you're working on a large project, you have to be very specific of like what you did on that project. Um, uh, if you're doing it as like a boutique or you're trying to get hired as a demo reel that's focused in more on real time, it would be like well you know, what are you doing here? What, what type of job are you trying trying to get within the virtual production? You know, are you trying to go toward being like an Unreal TV um, or, you know, lighting TV or character, or do you want to work more on set as a camera, uh, physical camera TV, and you're working on set within a volume? Um, you would just have to focus on more of that and, you, you know, your reel would be effective. If it's a company demo reel, then it's kind of the same thing. You got to make a flashy demo reel, um, and you're you're the same old adage: you're only as good as your last job. You know, um, in that aspect of like on a demo reel, you've got to you've got to hit them because people, you know, I forget what the what the thing was, but you lose people attention span on a demo reel after a certain amount of time. Um, so yeah. that's why it's always been instructed since demo reels have begun uh, that you always put your best work up front. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I have a big stack of them to go through. I usually, if it was something bad in the first 30 seconds, I would just stop. And, the, and the here's reel. the thing don't waste time on picking like the kick ass song that you know may get muted on Instagram anyway, because yeah. most of the time people have the volume down watching demo reels. Yeah. Absolutely. So don't waste your time trying to get, you know, the next Yeezy song or or, or Dua Lipa, whoever it is, because most times any HOD does not have the right mind because they're yeah. probably listening to their own Spotify. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, uh, what are you uh, most excited about, just to kind of wrap this up um, in, in terms of the future of you know, all this stuff is going? I'm just excited because it's, it's ever-changing. So I feel like it's... Right now, it's pretty hard to get stale. 
Um, you know, I think there's there's tons of there's tons of problems to solve. I I'm excited that a lot of the stuff that has been promised for so long, things like AI, um, you know, between AI and uh, machine learning, um, advance just advancements of this stuff. If you've been in the industry longer than ten years, we've been promised this stuff for so long, and it's 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 at a point right now where the 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 tools aren't perfect and you're going to use many tools you know these pipelines for virtual production in real time step through a lot of different applications um, and different methodologies but um the, the opportunity to take an ai library of of um you know non-traditional captured motion captured data and and apply that rig to a character that you just downloaded for free off of Adobe or Epic or you know pick a key platform of your choice, you can iterate really fast the ideas you may have in your head. So as an individual artist, even for myself, you know, all those ideas that have been sitting in the back of the head that were like, oh, I need funding or I need a team to do this. Like you could probably get your own pitch wheel together that looks really darn good from a you know previs and a tech viz perspective and go put that out there and maybe go get your idea funding you know whether it be through indiegogo or kickstarter or you have traditional methods to go after and land funding from a studio or you just put your own test out there somebody sees your test on vimeo and it's just like hey let's make that into a, a show or a film it's happened before Definitely. I mean, that's a great story from the two brothers that did Kin. That thing was a Vimeo short called Bagman um, early on. And then that came and uh, became a feature film. And those guys got to make make it from a short into a feature. So it's like, you know, yeah. like I said, back to put yourself out there. Right. Yeah. So don't don't hold it back, folks. Put your stuff out there. You never know. It's going to get, I think it's going to get crazier, you know, between the blockchain and deep fakes and all these other opportunities uh, of technology. Um, you basically have a movie studio at your house these days. You know, our kids that are growing up with this tech are going to be like, man, you guys used to do it such a hard way. <laughs> <laughs> they're going to be, they're spoiled already. I mean, they, they, they have so many cool tools and toys and um you know even for us we got lots of toys we get to play with so it's really yeah, cool absolutely <clears throat> but like you say you know so, sometimes having some limitations can help having too many options and kind of get in your way so maybe yeah put a, a deadline on your own personal project or it will be the ever i mean they always say that about films films never get finished they just get released yes <laughs> just run out of <laughs> time or budget director will continually edit or add more to it. Yeah. Um, is there a, a place that people can follow you or find out more uh, about your work? Sure. Uh, easy one for everything we do at Dimensions is definitely go to Dimension Studio website. It's uh, it's .co, not .com um, for all our stuff. We're, uh, Dimension is on you know, LinkedIn, Instagram, we're hiring at Dimension. So if you have anybody that 
is uh, coming out of training that's got some chops, they can go to the Dementia website or, or LinkedIn and see a lot of the, um, the, the positions that we have available. And then for me on Instagram and Twitter, um, my handle is filmbot, F-I-L-N-B-O-T. I'm usually posting fun stuff, experiments and gear and skateboarding and stuff like that on my personal. Amazing. Fantastic. Well, Jim, thank you so much. And we've gone over a little bit, but I couldn't help myself. I've been really enjoying this conversation. No, it's I didn't awesome. want Thanks it to end. So yeah. You're, you're, yeah, you're welcome. Um, yeah, great to hear your uh, what you're up to and your words of wisdom for the folks out there. Thank you so much for sharing your time and uh, your spirit and uh, in your experience. Um, and thank you to all you listeners out there. Thanks for tuning in this week. Um, we will have another one in a couple of weeks. Uh, please subscribe to our YouTube channel and check out our free Facebook group, um, which is Becoming a CG Pro. Um, those are good ways to keep in touch with us. And um, yeah, thanks, Jim. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's always fun to talk about.